Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. This episode is an episode I wish all parents who are going through divorce or are currently in it could pay attention to. We are about to have an interview with an adult child of divorce, and what she shares should be heard by everyone going through it. Okay, so I have today Evan Cooper. Evan, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of background. So, beep, 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 back to 1990. What year did you graduate? 93? 94? 94. 94. Yeah. I'm a freshman. <laughs> Evan's a senior. Okay. Evan, to me, I'm just going to tell you what I saw. Okay. Like one of the most beautiful girls in our school Aww. and was cool, but not mean. Like, cause there are girls in our school that were mean and pretty and Evan was a nice and pretty one. And I Aww. know this sounds silly to talk about in our forties, but I've got to tell you that the number one thing I think when I see anybody from my past is they were nice or they were mean. Yeah. I feel the same way. First thought. Yeah. I don't even right. keep in touch. I keep in touch with like three people. So same. this is... Yeah. Yes. And so, and Evan, and I, I need to share this with you. I don't know if you know this, but I was in love. It wasn't real, it wasn't real love. I can tell you right now. Yeah, I was yeah. in lust with a boy that loved Evan. So the boy was a sophomore. Yes. Uh, it, well, when I was a senior, no, he, uh, when I was a senior, he was a junior. He was a junior. Okay. So the boy was a junior. His football number was 31, and I remember that because I remember thinking, I will never be able to see the number 31 again without being in pain, which is hysterical. Oh, no! <laughs> this is 15, right? So your daughter's in seventh grade. Like, hello, this is what's coming, right? And I remember thinking, like, she's so cool, and he is so, such an asshole. And, and what I love about that moment is that Evan and I have connected again through our writing, and we love like a lot of the same people in the world. And what's so cool is like, I wish I would have given half of that energy to getting to know you rather than running around staring at someone who I didn't even care about and who didn't care about me. And if that could have been like this, that's the story of my whole entire adolescence. Uh, you know, but I think, I think that that's, that's the nature of the age when you're a teenager, because you would never believe what I was thinking then. I mean, so I was a senior. I had gone through, I was in my last year of what I considered hell, which was my entire childhood. Which we're going to Yeah. And as a senior, you know, you wouldn't have known this as a freshman, but uh, what you saw wasn't how I was treated until about maybe sophomore or junior year. I really kind of came into my own, but I was not considered pretty. I was not popular. I was not, your perception of me was a, not how I saw myself, but, but furthermore, it wasn't how I was treated. I was not like one of the popular girls, but when I became a junior, a few things happened that I can 
share later, but that really sort of um, I felt empowered by. And I sort of got the attitude where I was like, F all these people. I'm going to be fully myself, fully myself for what I, for what you can be in high school, because I wasn't even close, but for that time, and I just didn't give an F what people in high school thought. And that really freed me to, and I knew I was leaving and that really freed me to just be myself. But I can tell you, nobody up until my junior year was nice to me, like, except for my few little friends, I struggled. I mean, so to hear, so when, you know, I was like maybe a couple of years ago when we reconnected to hear that was your perception of me, I was floored. I was floored. And to me, you were like the girl, um, can't buy me love. You were like the girl that opened up the door with the bikini and the beautiful outfit. Like that was, I don't remember. I mean, I remember the movie, but I don't remember. I mean, but she was not nice, but she was, she's a blonde one. Yeah. She was, Oh my God. See, that's like, that's like the the last. I know. But like, I just like, I saw you and I was like, and what I want the listeners to know is like our high school was like 90210. It really, really was. And, um, you know, one of the cool things I've learned since writing my book that I'm actually connecting a lot with college and high school students, because there's a part of my middle, which you obviously read because you were so generous, that is really about that time period. And yeah. I want to do like a piece that's called like what I wish I would have known when I was sitting in your shoes, like, because yeah. I, I wish that I had an hour with someone like you that said, none of this matters. Like, this is BS stop focusing on this. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't have any, that message was not coming towards me. Yeah. No, never in, I mean, it was never, that was never the message given. Or if it was, it wasn't from someone that what, like we could, or at least I could relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, some 65 year old woman or man who you just couldn't, you couldn't bridge that that gap so it like didn't matter I just love this so much because like how decades and decades have passed and we both have completely different perceptions of what happened and what who we were and I love that because that's the lesson I keep learning is we just have no idea what what's we, going have on. No, we have no, no idea. idea no and, idea and like also everybody is suffering I mean that's like yeah. the worst thing to say maybe it's no, just no, a product no, we are. Time, we're all, but like we're all struggling that is that is it does not matter. I mean, I still, to this day, because I'm human, will, even though I'm not on social media often, when I am, I will still look at people and think, oh, you know, I wish I had their life to simplify. I mean, I wish I just, and I mean, that's just bullshit. Right. And we have to remember there are filters and there are effects and there are editing, like not just like technology, but in every way, nobody puts out their, their crap. Right. And just, and just like when, just like when you were watching me as a freshman and I was senior, you had just as though, like you had no idea what I was going through. We have no idea what these people are going through that we're, we're looking at on social media. We have no idea. Yes. So, and that's probably one of my, and I think you, did you say, yes, you're going to do my life lessons? Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that I can't too, wait. because I, 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 I wanted to, I had some questions. Um, we will chat about that later, but we'll yes, you are going to be a chapter yeah, in my next book. Awesome. And my biggest life lesson is that everybody has a story and that I just oh, don't sure. know what the story is. Right. I, I don't sure. know. 
for sure. Um, before we get started, I want to read to you a few lines that were generously given to me from anonymous children that are currently in divorced homes. So okay. I did an anonymous survey on social media. I don't know where these answers have come from, but they've come from children that their parents passed on the questionnaire and they answer them. Okay. So here's things about seven or eight lines that children of divorce wish their parents would do. I wish they would only say positive things about one another and never say that I'm behaving like the other parent. I wish my parents had dealt with it more privately, even though I was a little, I was little, I remember some extreme arguments at the end of their marriage. I wish they lived closer together. I wish they hadn't fought in front of us. I wish they could be friends and not fight about us. I wish they gave us more information on what a divorce was. I was only six at the time, so I was a bit confused. I think their initial plan was good, but maybe it would have been more easy to adjust to a system if it was more structured. And I understood, for example, what days I would be with my mom or what days I would be with my dad and stuff like that. Please don't tell my dad I said that stuff about my stepmom. I don't want to get in trouble. Doesn't that break your heart? I can't even, I mean. And so you know that um, in your corner divorce, my North Star divorce is all about you have an option. Like parents have an option. And the only reason why they choose the option of all those things, the negative, the t not talking badly is because they're selfish and they can't get over their shit. And so the reason why I do this podcast and why I coach is I want parents to know that they have a choice. And the reason why I'm having you on as an adult child of divorce is I want your story to be told so they can hear what things you went through, because I think it's really important because they don't consider it because they're stuck in their own stuff. Mm. Or any of those that I read, do any of them stick out to you? I mean, they all resonated with yeah. me, even though the circumstances are, some were very different. Mm. Um, I mean, the, I, I think the best thing I can say, or my most immediate reaction to that is that, you know, I'm 44 and I'm still dealing with this shit. I'm, I spend every day that I'm not working to write freelance and write, um, you know, work for, for uh, pay. I'm spending every free moment writing my story. And, um, you know, yes, in a way one could say, oh, what a, not that one would say what a blessing, but like, listen, it's given you this, this gift of having this great story to tell. Fuck that. Right. I'd prefer no, not to have that great story. But, right? I prefer, but I can't proceed in my life. I'm not doing this so that I can say, uh, I've written the next great, whatever. Right. I'm doing it because I have to. You have to get it out. And this is, and, and this is after uh, 14 years of consistent, consecutive therapy. I mean, I did a lot of therapy on and off for years in my 20s, but not until I was in my 30s did I start. And, and the first five years, I was going twice a week. And this, and it is all because my parents were unable to put us first. Yeah, I have two brothers. They were not able. And you know what? They're not bad people. Right. They're not bad people. They just couldn't like you said, get over their own shit, even for five minutes to yes. realize what they were doing. And I understand. Do you think they were unable or unwilling? Because I think there's a difference. Because I'm not talking about someone who's got a mental issue. I'm talking about someone who couldn't see that their shit 
was bleeding all over you and that they wouldn't put down the weapon and just show up? I mean, that's a really nuanced question to ask unwilling or unable because I choose to believe that at least in my situation, they were truly doing the best, the best they, they could, could. Yes. from their from their point of consciousness. In the, in that moment, in that moment, they were doing the best that they could. They really weren't aware necessarily. Now, it's hard to say because my memory of it is that of a child. My perception is of is of that of a child. So if I were to now watch a movie of what happened. I'm sure I would see a lot of different things that I didn't see then. Um, and I think. I like what you're saying. And I agree with you. I think that same with my parents, I grew up in an alcoholic home. So for me, I don't feel angry at them. I know that they were sick and that that was their best. Unfortunately, their best fucked me up a lot. Um, yeah. And I've done a lot of work and we're at a totally different place because they're sober and I'm sober. But I carry with me at 41 still, I mean, I'm in an amazing, beautiful marriage today. And when trust issues come up, I go back to that nine-year-old girl. Oh, a billion percent. I mean, right? my, I mean. Right. Thank God I have a patient husband. Me this too. This have lasted two minutes. Yes. Not two minutes. Because yes. I put, without even trying, even after all this therapy, and this is, if parents are listening to this, I'm going to let you know. I am somebody, I am not like living, walking through my life as an unconscious person. I, I'm awake. I've spent decades now meditating, doing yoga, in therapy, and still this is haunting me. And still yeah. I will react to my husband in a way that he looks at me and he's like, you are not talking to me right now. You are talking, mm -hmm. you are a nine-year-old girl talking to somebody who has Because he's awake enough. And he's obviously a good enough person that he can hear you in the past to say, when you hear this, you know, because I want to run. My, my go-to is give me my running shoes on, peace out, because this is so unsafe and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I go back to that place of, there's nobody on earth I can trust. A hundred percent. I literally said, this. it's so messed up. I literally said it the other night. I was joking, but I said, we watched a documentary on, I mean, this is really sad, but I'll say it for the benefit of your listeners, is that I've always sort of joked that, like, I can't really trust, I don't really trust anyone. And like, and understanding that this is like a, you know, something that I'm joking about, but there must be some element of truth is like, I never know if you're going to murder me or not. Like you're the nicest guy. You maybe were in and I'm joking. But the other night I was joking and I said it and he was like, you know, I really don't like that joke. I really don't. I, like, I just don't think it's funny. Right. And I was like, and then I got serious and I was like, you know what though? I know this is really sad, but like, sorry, buddy. Right. I just don't trust anyone implicitly. I mean, yeah. And that's work I have to do. Right. But, and you trust him probably more than you trust any other adult. But oh, the truth a billion is, percent. The same with me. But the truth is, at, at my core, when I get hurt in that area, my first go-to is, see, you're not supposed to trust anyone. Mm -hmm. And that comes from, and, and what I really found, and you'll probably relate to this, when I first started my coaching, co-parent coaching, 
my goal was to be able to help the children that are currently children in the, in the house. And then the more I talked to people like you and to experts and to therapists and to lawyers and to adult children also, I realized it is not just the children. It is generations of divorced, anyone that's touched by it, your children, your partner, your boyfriends and girlfriends. Oh, yeah. And it just, it friends, right? So it just trickles. And what is so crazy is it's not even that challenging of work to do to, to not cause yeah. it, right? Oh. It's like, shut up and show up. Yeah. That's so true. And I'll, you know what I can, I just thought of another way that this affects the children in ways you would never imagine. You're, you might look at your child, if you're going through a divorce and you might look at your child and think like, they're doing fine. They're going to school. They're, they're hanging in. Well, let me tell you something that kids peer relationships are suffering because one thing I did, which I didn't realize till really late, like, I mean, probably college was I put all my shit on my friends. You know, I, I like, I'd noticed that I'd like all of a sudden I lose a friend or a friend would grow distant. This is an elementary school and I wouldn't know why. And I never knew why until later when I realized, God, I must've just been sitting there talking about how awful my life is and how hard, not even how awful my life is in a complaining way, but just relaying what I was going through. My parents lived, uh, my mom was in Ohio and my dad was in LA and I flew back and forth by myself from the time I was seven years old. And I want to get to your story. Let's start yeah. from the beginning. How, how old were you when your parents got divorced? I was two. So okay, I don't remember. So you don't remember. So do you know what happened? Did they ever explain it to you? Uh, I get both sides of the story, which are completely different stories. Of course. Yes. So I've reconciled that I'll never know. And, you know, I've sort of tried to come to my own conclusions based on their dynamic now, which is, you know, 30 years too late, but they're, or 40 years too late, I guess, but they're, you know, they can be in the same room. They often are when there's some event with my Were brother. your brothers older? I had an older brother. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. My younger so brother. Older brothers was, from the same marriage. Both younger from brothers. the same marriage. Both from older, the same marriage. Okay. Oh, your youngest was baby. My younger brother was the baby and he was in school. He was a year older than you. Yes, okay. a year older than you. Okay, so you're so young, you don't remember it. What do you remember about growing up? I mean, and when much, did your dad move? So my dad didn't move. We were in LA. We moved. You were in LA. You moved yeah. on. Is that where your mom's family is? Yes. Okay. Yes. So tell so me she, how that all happened. Um. God, where to begin? I think that they um, they were married and they uh, and they um, sorry I kept trying to okay. remember and recall everything. They when they decided to divorce, my mom took her three children, all under the age of three, three, two, and newborn, and went back to where she was from which was Cleveland mm -hmm. and um, which is where she was born and raised. And um, for the first um, several years, my dad would fly to visit us or he would fly to um, Cleveland and he would pick us up. Like he would fly, take the red eye from LA, arrive in Ohio, arrive in Cleveland, rent a car, 
drive to our house, pick us up, drive us back to the airport, and then we'd get on like the 9 or 10 a.m. flight back to L.A. And that's how we and, you know, so he was very attentive and always there. And and then he'd fly us back. But then when I got a little older, he, um, you know, it was just too much. And we were able to fly alone, even though able is a very able to and it, you know, that's a very subjective. So did term. all three of you guys fly together to visit him? So I'm, you know, I'm writing about this now, but, but no. And in fact, our family was very splintered in that um, my younger brother really was a mama's boy, I would say. I mean, he probably would hate that I would say that. So um, <laughs> don't think I'll share this with him. But um, my, and my older brother was very much my dad's boy mm-hmm. and um who were you and so I was split I was I well to be honest I was a daddy's girl but but had no choice but to be in Ohio right and eventually um and I this would not happen today because of the laws and I just can't see this happening in this way although maybe I'm wrong maybe this kind of thing is happening M- my parents had a custody battle just for my older brother which I write about in my memoir. Um, because he wanted to be with his, his dad. Yeah. And, and my dad won that. And so my How old was he when that happened? He was uh, nine and I was eight. And so he moved across the country. So just so you know, why, I'm not a lawyer, but what I learned from working with people is that would have had to have meant that they had to prove that your mom was not capable of taking care of him or she would have had to sign away her rights. So, yeah. And I would do anything to see those papers, but can you imagine? I can't even imagine. There's so much to say here that is like too. So your brother moved to California. Mm -hmm. My older brother. Yes. And then you would go visit your dad in California yeah. and your little brother stayed at home with his. Yeah. Mom. He went occasionally, but he really didn't have the desire it, to go. Did it affect you that nobody fought for you? Oh, that's the, that is, that's your that is the defining, that is my story. That is the defining issue of my life. I mean, that's what everything you're I write about. You're one year apart, right? You're one year, you're literally yeah. one grade apart. Yeah. That must have been so hard. And and to complicate matters, when you started this conversation, you said, you know, the high school you went to was like 90210. Well, my older brother grew up in Beverly Hills. He was the homecoming king at Beverly Hills High School. So I'm in Ohio watching, like, you know, right. You know, you know what we, you know, buried in snow in, in a, in a household that was also, you know, an alcoholic anorexic parent. And I'm watching this show, this fictionalized version, knowing that my older brother's essentially living this life. Um, and I would have moments of it, you know, I, every vacation, every, you know, I'd come and it was, it was pretty real. I mean, it was, it was real. It was, that was. Did you ever communicate to your father? I want to be here too. Oh yeah. Um, it's all the time. And, um, it for, you know, for all sorts of reasons, which are lengthy and, um, I go in depth in my writing. Um, it just wasn't going to happen. And, you know, I can't imagine a family today splitting up their children like that. Um, 
But but short of that, had that even had that not happened, the name calling of the opposite parent, the on both the, sides, on both sides, the the even as innocuous as it may have seemed, the the thing that you said that one of the children had written to you where the the child noted that one of the parents said you're just like your other parent. Well, let's let's parse that apart. Yeah, because- can I just say something? So. I have so many of these and I'm doing this campaign where I'm showing them in black and white from children, from adult children of divorce that said, these are the things that are said. And one of them is you're always like your, you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. And you know, they hate their other parents. And that's it because, and how is a, forget a a developing mind, forget a, a mature mind who has the wherewithal to say like, okay, this person is just angry at the other person. You can't do that when you're a child. It's hard enough when you're an adult. I can barely do it now. I can barely 100%, do it now. hundred percent, a hundred percent. Exactly. Still now there's even a glimmer of that. If my brothers even say, oh, you're, you're just, just like, like yeah, you know, you're just, you're just yeah. like this. Yeah. You, you know, you're, when you've spent all of those years having your brain wired a certain way to believe a certain thing about a certain parent, and then you're told you're just like the worst of them. It's, you know, and I just think that, that parents, um, though everyone is doing the best they can, I think if you're, if you're able to say this marriage is not working for me, then you're able to say, and I can do better for my children and I can be, I can be conscious enough if I'm aware enough that I can say, okay, this isn't working for me. We need to split apart. There's an, and also we need to make the children health and well-being a priority. I know this sounds so simplified, but like you just said, whether, regardless of how you get the divorce, whether one person wants it, both people want it, there was infidelity, whatever it's happening. Okay. So you're both on this road, regardless of how you got there. Now your choices I can move on and say, how can we do this together? How can we raise these children in the best possible way and not fuck them up? Or I'm going to get back at you for the rest of my life and make your life miserable and destroy you and destroy me and destroy them. They're not consciously thinking that. They're thinking, oh, if you knew how bad it was, then you'd understand. And they're justifying for themselves their shitty behavior. And that's why when I work with people, I'm like, stop, like, stop it. Like, stop talking about your story. Like, we don't care about your story. This isn't about you anymore. Go get outside help. You need to take care of your kids. Show up at the basketball game, sit at the piano concert in the same section and suck it up. Like, this isn't about you. Yeah. But people get so, they get so justified in their anger. And that's- A billion percent. Right, and I'm learning a lot lately. You know, like when a theme keeps coming, a lot of it's been about forgiveness lately. And for me, I always thought forgiveness meant like I had to like, I had to like be okay with what you did. And that's not what I'm understanding. What it means for me today is I no longer want to carry the weight of all of that anymore. That's not mine. I don't want it anymore. I'm going to deal with the part that's affected with me, but I don't want to carry your shame and your guilt and your crap because it's not mine. Oh, a billion percent. And I got a lot to carry. I don't need to carry anything else. Yeah. You know? And and like you said, that's that's the that's just even skimming the surface. Not carrying their shame and their guilt and their that that's because because the rest has been is in our cellular being. So that takes so long that takes a lifetime to work out. 
generations. So, if you yeah. don't, if you don't work it out, then your daughter will just have it. Right. Yeah. So that's why you're doing so much work besides for yourself. So when this is all happening, did it affect your relationship with your older brother? Oh yeah. We, um, it's funny because our relationship, we are fairly close today. He's, you know, here in LA and he has two kids and he's happily married and everything, but, and we're, I would say we're close, but, um, I, he is the opposite of me in terms of, um, sort of accessing his emotions and even acknowledging that he has them. That's like my brother. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so there's so much unresolved, unspoken to never likely to never be spoken or resolved. Um, he would, he would deny so much if I shared. And when I share, when my book comes out and he reads my experience, he will, it will be for him like reading a, a totally different, right. Because his experience, not only was his, his, his physical experience different because he left, he will not be able to understand what it was like to be on my side of things. And how I'm sure, he? yeah, how could he? And I'm sure he has I do not think that he got off easy. I think that he's probably got a lifetime's worth of work in regards to his relationship with the parent he left. Right. Are they still connected or no? They are, but it is, but it is, there is, I cannot even imagine the depths of the unspoken and to never be spoken of uh, issue where, where you leave you know, you fight to leave that parent. And did you have to answer for him when he left? Like when you were in school, did, were people like, where's your brother? Like, yeah. But I was so young. I do remember that. Do you, you know, Damon Smith? Damon's so one I of know you best. love Damon. Yeah. So I knew you knew, I knew through social media. So they yeah. were best friends when they were little. So he's really the touchstone for me of like, yes, it was Wait, real. Can I just give you something that's so beautiful? Okay. First of all, Damon's one of the best people I know on earth. Okay. I know. And Damon was one of my brother's best friends. And oh, I grew okay. up right with him. So as in middle school, high school is when they became best friends. And Damon would come to our house and our house was like a second house. My mom like literally bought food for him in stored it in our house. And he would wow. pick him up and he was the best. And here's how the circle continues. Okay. It's crazy. Damon came back. He was called Tex in his yeah. Big yeah. as hell football player as a college came back and he he had heard me crying at my house about the guy that me and you were talking about, the number 31 football player. He went in when he was a senior, that boy, and you were gone. And he went in front of everyone in the cafeteria and picked him up and threw him against the wall. And he said, if you ever mess with my little sister, Carly, you will have to answer to me. And he, no one's ever done that before in my whole life. Like my own brother would never do that. But Damon was like that for me. And I was like, no one's ever done that. And, and that guy was so mad at me because he was embarrassed in front of everyone. But how amazing is it that Damon is connected to both of us in that same, in a completely different way as that other person was. And then Damon went to UCLA with me. So we were I at school together was- there. Yeah. Yes. That's so crazy. Um, so Damon lost his friend and you lost your brother base I mean he he was gone yeah and I don't like a whole nother death yeah I mean I don't what grade were you so I second second grade and he was in third grade um I 
And here's another thing for the parents. <laughs> that no, I, that this I is what it's for. Yeah. So right after that happened, uh, I remember being forced to a therapist. I, and I write this scene. I don't know if it will end up being in my book, but I have a very vivid memory of this one particular scene. And it was horrible because I was very aware as young as I was at, uh, at you know, eight years old. And parents understand that your eight-year-old under fucking stands. Yes. They understand. Do they understand everything at an adult's intellectual level? No, that's impossible. But they get so they much get more it. than you think. And especially now with digital, you think that they're not listening. They, they get it. They every get it. word. They get it. So if you think that they're an exception, you're wrong because yeah. they get it. Yeah. So I was taken to a therapist and I was very aware that this therapist was on my mother's, was being hired by my mom, was on my, was, was there on my mother's behalf. And, and I remember saying like, why do I have to do this? And I remember her saying, because you miss your brother. And I railed against that because all my brother and I did was fight. So in yeah. my eyes, I was like, no, I don't miss him. I'm jealous that he got to go, but I don't miss him. And this therapist, it was such a horrific experience. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't force that on a child and you have to be sure that that person, that child has to know that they can trust that person as an objective being and person in their life. Like, yes, there's unavoidable connections. Like you have to pay the therapist, but that child has to know that that, that, that therapist or that coach is somebody that is an impartial bystander. Of course, if they're doing their job, they will be. But unfortunately in my case, that wasn't the situation. I was definitely being steered a certain way and I was onto her and I took the little doll she gave me and I threw it at her. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, what do you think the goal was? Were they trying I, to say that you missed him so much and you needed him back? I mean, I must have been acting out. I, as an adult, I can look back and think and imagine and hope that the intention was to help me. But then my impression was that the intention was to get me to say something bad about my dad. That was my experience of it as a child. I, as an adult, give my mother more credit than that now. But that was my experience of it as a child. So would they celebrate birthdays with you together? No, they couldn't. I mean, we were across the country. You know, did anything happen together? Like, were they able to be in the same room no. together? No, not until uh, like when you were telling the story about flying. I was like, why didn't your mom just drive you to the airport? Yeah, <laughs> isn't that a good question? Probably because it, I'm guessing it was the helping him. Was so shitty. It was that helping. Him. That would be helping him. He wouldn't yep. do that because God forbid she should drive 25 minutes to the airport. Rather, make him rent a car. He wanted to. He wanted. You know, I can feel that anger and. Imagine what that does to your father also, because now he's like, every time he's like, I have to go rent a car and all those little things that you don't think matter, they get stuck inside of you. I mean, and as you right? just said that, you literally read my mind. You're talking and I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking right now. Fuck Carly, I have a pit in my stomach, like a physical, like I feel like I'm gonna throw a pit in my stomach. And I'm not like saying that for hyperbole. Right. I'm not exaggerating as you're relaying what I experience, I feel sick. 
Could you imagine if, God forbid, you and your husband didn't stay together and you needed to get your daughter and he wouldn't even drive her to the airport. You had to go to the Alamo and rent a stupid car and then go get it and then drive it and then take you three children and then drop them off in a car. Like, that just shows how angry everybody was. And um, one question I have for you is, did anyone get remarried? Yeah, they both did. How was that? So my mother's remarriage ended in divorce. Uh, I hated the person she married and eventually she- How old were you when she uh, married? 14. That's a a rough age. Yeah. And eventually she hated him too. And so then Uh they got divorced. Did he have kids? He had one daughter who did not live with us, um, who I rarely saw, uh, who I imagine, I have no idea how much he saw her. Um, What did you not like about him? Because- um, I'm a step parent, but I actually was just telling my husband last night because we had a really shitty situation last night with my son and his father's partner. Okay. Okay. And um, I learned the most about being a step parent from really shitty examples of how I never want to be. And I almost wish that like that name wasn't even called step parent or step mom or step dad, because it's not like you're not, you're like an auntie or an uncle at best. And to even put that name on that role, unless you're dealing with a situation where someone is absent, like there's not like a father or there's not like a mother is so confusing to the kids and to that person. Cause they think that they're supposed to be something that they're not. Right. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I definitely know examples where the person is, um, would disagree like, Oh no, I love my step parent. And I, and I, and I do, I actually, and that's wonderful. Them. I love my stepmother. We're very close, but um, I won't say that that's an uncomplicated relationship. How old were means. you when your father got remarried? So even though they didn't get re- they didn't get married until I was sixteen, but they'd been together since I was eleven. So so a lot, of and they're still married. And did they have any children? No, but I will say that adds a whole other complex complexity to. Did the, she to have the, any children? She did not, but. Even to this day, as an adult, I will tell you, had they had a child and I was still in Ohio, I think that would have radically changed the course of my life because I would not, I don't know that I'd ever be able to forgive them for not taking me as well. Right. You guys have your own perfect family here in Beverly Hills yeah. and you left me. Did your yeah. dad know about what it was like in your, in your house? So we talk about that now. And I imagine he had to have. I also imagine he couldn't have known the, the extent of it or how it felt as a child. Because I still believe had he known or really truly understood that he would have done something about it. But maybe he did know and maybe from an adult's perspective, it wasn't that bad. Well, do you know the reason why he took your brother? Um, I only know generally. And um, I can't wait to read your book. Thank you. You know, you, mean, have, you know what direction I have to give you? Not that you need it. But L, my publisher, gave me this and it really helped because you were talking about the scene. I really want you to feel like two things you're so uncomfortable while you're sharing it because it's so close in yeah and 
what helped me a lot when I was doing my edits was to really think about it. Like if I was a playwright or a screenwriter and my responsibility was, was to make the, the, the dialogue and the description so clear that no director could mess it up, that it would That's look right exactly right. right. It would literally look like, you know, cause I took playwriting and I love playwriting. I learned more about writing from playwriting than anything else. And the more restrictions and the clearer you make it and the more you put it in the text, then it makes it so no director that picks it up can change what your vision was of mm. it. And so you get to go in there and think about all the senses you had in that office with that doll and all of it. Like, so people really feel like you're making a series for them. You're making a movie that they can watch. They see it from your eyes. So I will tell you this, which is will be news to you. <laughs> um, I have veered a little bit and that is while I am still writing my memoir, I have decided that there is too much that I cannot put out in the world at this time. It because took me, it's going to cause problems. It, yes. And, 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 and it took me about a year to really come to terms with this and, sp and speaking to several people, many people who've written memoirs and, you know, all of that. And I really had to come like, like sit down with myself and say, if somebody were to say, you know, all right, we're ready to publish it tomorrow. Would I be okay? And I wouldn't. So I'm right. Because and I do all of the, I just, I'm not about, yeah, there's too you much. Know what you should do though, because I think you need to get it out. I think you should write it and then put it, put it so away. I, so I'm doing that whilst also writing a fictionalized, a fi I'm writing, I, I sort of veered. And because I've written for young adult before, yes. I've decided to, I'm doing a fictionalized, version that's that's just really informed by my experience it's not my experience right but it's, so nobody it's, outside can say I can't believe you wrote that and you're like look it's just it's not real it, there's not yeah I mean I'm really doing like a composite yes. you know it's like it's basically everything you're doing but a fictionalized version you know yes. it's, I'm taking I'm taking the experience and I'm writing a story yeah what I'm doing right now and that's that's definitely like combining it's sort of like my therapeutic and creative um means of like just I think it's really important to acknowledge what you just said and what it took you you know what it took you to get to is it your family could not handle that right now you know I, I you can handle it. yeah I could yeah I mean I couldn't and that's what it was it was one thing when I thought people when other writers would say like you know either they're gonna have to get over it or they're gonna have to face it or they won't deal with it at all what I realized was the turning point for me was you know what whether they can or can't handle it I can't handle it right now and, and what about it do you think you can't handle that's a good question um I would say this I would say that I it has taken me so many years over a decade to grapple with and um, sort of untangle everything that I experienced as a child in my own head that I'm not prepared at this moment to go back to the start and redo that with each member of my family that putting it out in the world would require me doing because I'd have to sit down with each person and go through each and and as you were saying earlier my, my mental health is too important right now um, to deal with how this is going to affect you. Right. So when I'm at a place where I feel like 
I got my, I got it. I'm solid and I can deal with your shit now. Do you know what's really interesting though? So I totally hear what you're saying. And what I also found is there's a lot of members of my family that have not read my book. I get and, it. And that it's, and it's I got to do my own work about that. I'm like, that hurts. Like I have strangers that are, that know my yeah. story better than my own family. And it hurts. Because- but you realize that that's their defense mechanism. That's a defense yes. on their end. That is, that is total defense mechanism on their end. Yes. And the, and the ones that have, and that are amazing and supportive, I love so much, but like, you know, you just can't get over certain things when, when a hundred, when 99 people say you're beautiful and one person's like, eh, you're okay. All I you know. think about is that one. Right. So I feel like you've given so much to the listener. I have like two last questions because I could probably talk about this topic with you forever. I know. And I th- feel like now we should not like I, right now, but now I, I feel like we should I continue this. I want to. My last two questions are number one, and this is really an opportunity for you. So what do you wish would have been handled differently? (laughs) Well, where to begin? Um, If you could have created, obviously you can't, the divorce has to happen. But what do you wish, once that decision was made, what do you wish would have been done differently? If you could create anything, do you wish they would have stayed in the same state? I think the first, I think if if it could have been anything, I think first and foremost, they would have stayed in the same. I mean, that, that to me was one of the worst that what, that wasn't one of them. That was the absolute worst part of it. I just don't understand why your dad let that happen. Was it just because of the time of, of like, I think in that time period, I think in the eighties, you were, you know, sort of the mother got to take where the mother got that's by default. The mother gets the child by default. And also there were no rules surrounding distance, which I imagine would be very difficult if you're, if, if as an adult now thinking, well, because I lived in Arizona for a while where my husband's family lives. And I imagine like, had we gotten divorced, I would have wanted to come back to LA where my family was. And what if I couldn't have done, you know, I understand that from the adult's perspective, that's complicated and difficult. That said, I, I think that uh, they should have come together and said, I mean, this is so absurd to me that they would have ever even have done this. But in a perfect world, they would have come together and said what's best for the kids and to not be, to not, even if they had gotten along impeccably, we still would have had that distance. And I think that that is huge. I mean, I've got to tell you, and one of the things I do with clients is the coolest thing I do, it's called nuts and bolts. And I basically sit down with a couple who is there, they've already made the decision they're going to divorce. Their biggest fear is they're going to mess up their kids. And so we do this 90 minute session. They answer questions beforehand. And we basically figure out, I only ask them questions, not legal questions, things that are, should go in the shared parenting plan that if you want to create the best scenario for your kids in two homes, what can we do? And I create, I give them all sorts of options, like a menu and we find out where they match up and where they don't. And one of the things I say, because the best case scenario is when they're, they're still, they haven't physically separated. They're, they're deciding how to do all this. And they work with me and I say to them, like, we sold our dream home because we couldn't afford it. And we bought two homes four blocks away from each other on purpose. Mm. And I've got to tell you, we forget shit every single day. Where's your trumpet? Where's your computer cord? Where's your soccer cleats? And my kids, when they're mad at one of the parents, can ride their bike to the other parent's house. And you know, 
like how shitty it is when you're like a teenager and you want to hang out with these friends and now it's time to go to this person's house and you have to go across the country. Like I yeah. can't, I'm going to miss a dance or I'm going to miss like this. Yeah. yeah. I got to go to another state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like th- that I think is number one. What else do you think you wish they would have done differently? <clears throat> um, I think the next thing that immediately comes to mind is the, uh, the hatred that you, of which you, you speak about the other parent is the, the child understands that they are part the other per- parent you are 50% the other parent. So when you're insulting the other parent, it's impossible to not take that personally. Even as an adult to this day, if I hear so much as an inkling of an insult, I have to say, um, yeah, I'm part, you're insulting me. Do Even they hear you, it when you say it? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't My know. husband is 49. His parents were married for 39 years. They got divorced 10 years ago. Wow. And they still do this bullshit to him. And he has to tell them all the time, stop calling me and complaining about money. Stop telling me what they did and didn't do. And they don't listen. Like, yeah. So I don't, um, I must have stricter boundaries now because I shut that shit down. That's good. I, 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 I have extraordinarily strict boundaries. But you wouldn't have had to have them if your parents would have had them. So I think what had to happen is you had to become what they couldn't do. So you've had to create a safe, secure, strict boundary place because they were not able to do it. Whether they were not able or not willing, they didn't do it. And I will will add this. I would not have been able to do that without the help of my therapist. I've had two. You needed outside help. There's no way I would have been able to do that alone. No way. Yeah. Um, last question. What would you tell, like, give me a few things you would tell current people that are about to split up. What would you tell them they really need to focus on? Oh, God, this is hard. You know, I've never really think about it from your But it's important. That you, yeah. Because um, you just started the whole thing saying, you're 44 and you're still dealing with this shit. You know, so what do I you think, wish you could tell them right now? I think if you could show your children or child that their life and their well-being is the number one, the most important thing to you. You know, I understand that's hard as a human being because we're all sort of, you know, you're you're biologically program to be egocentric, you know, my life, I've got to do everything to survive. If you can relate to your child that no matter what, their well-being, their best interest is what will always come first to you, even above and beyond your own needs. And you can repeat that over and over and over. I don't care if it's on a daily basis, you tell that child that you will do what you need to do. What's and what's in with you know you you can you can bring that you can qualify it by saying like I'm not you know there's certain things I can't do I can't like if you tell me it's in your best interest or your bet your highest well you know your highest uh, well being to live in a mansion on the ocean I can't necessarily bring that to right. you. I'm not talking like, obviously you're not like, but if you can tell them that you're going to do your best every single day and that you're going to, and then you can acknowledge, like, I'm going to fuck up. Yeah. 
mean, I still tell this to my daughter last night. I was so irritable and I was like, okay, just go away. And she just was like, I don't like when you, you got so upset. I was heartbroken that I snapped at her. And I just said, I just apologized. And I said, you know, I was irritable and I am so sorry. And what she gets to see when you're human is yes. This is how to behave when you mess up because humans mess up. Yeah. And if you don't do that, right, then she doesn't know how to do that. Right. Exactly. And so I guess I would just say, you know, you have to let that child know that there is nothing that's more important than their well-being. Even more than their anger that they have for the other person. Oh, a hundred percent. You know what I tell my clients? You're about to become a Grammy award winning actor. And they're like, why? I'm like, because you're going to put on a show and it doesn't matter what you feel or what you think, because you don't have to live with that person anymore. You are showing up and smiling and shutting up. It's literally moments in time. It's nothing. And we make such a big deal. And we block all the love and life and relationships in our future because we're stuck carrying the stuff that is over. It's over, right? I mean, how exhausting. So now your job, unfortunately, and as you know, your beautiful burden as an adult is you get to let go of the things that they couldn't because- they, you don't want them in your life anymore. But I do believe like you were saying, and and for me too, regardless of how good my relationship is with my parents today, my first go-to instinct is going to be to go back to that little girl and go, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't trust you. Because we were hurt so badly when we were little that even though we're both, we're both working our asses off, when we get hurt again, that's our first room. That's where we go. Yeah. Yeah. And parents that are listening don't have to do that to their children. They have a choice. Absolutely. There is a way to do this. I really do believe it might not be ideal. It might not be what you set out to do, but I do believe that there's a way because if the child feels valued and is listened to and, and is acknowledged as a like intelligent, sentient being, not and just some kind of like kid and that yeah, they understand. Exactly. A hundred percent. Then then what you do, okay, fine. You do what you have to do. They'll understand. Okay, you guys can't live together. Ah, ha, ha. Okay, right. do what you have to do because I know I'm so important to you. Right. And they feel it and they feel yes. heard and they feel seen. Yeah. You're going to help so many people. I can't oh. even tell you. You're going to help so many people. We I are. Mean, so, yay. <laughs> I mean, it's so impressive what you're doing. It's so impressive, Thank Carly. Thank I, you. I, I just, I applaud you for everything you've done. It's well, I want amazing. you to know from my nine-year-old little girl to your nine, when you get stuck in those places, I am here. Even oh, likewise. Here, like I, I get it. And I can hold your hand and walk you through that dark hallway because sometimes no one else understands and yeah. they want to say all the logical things and they don't, they don't get it. And I'm so grateful that we've gotten to reconnect. That's so awesome, Carly. Thank you. And likewise. And we will reconnect soon. Yes. So you we have a lot. Like, can't wait. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Have a wonderful day. And I hope your you daughter too. enjoys bedroom school. Bedroom school. Yes. Okay. <laughs> For any listeners out there who want help with divorce coaching, please contact me at inyourcornercoach at gmail.com. Remember, We get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and the world around us. Have a great day.